0: Hi, this is Anushka Fernandopoli. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button under my picture on dharmaseed.org or go to my website, anushkaf.org, A-N-U-S-H-K-A-F.org, and click on donate. Thanks, I appreciate your support. And then, uh, we won't actually use our devices yet, but you can pick them up. So you can just put them into your hand. Or put them in your sight line. So just notice at the moment, uh, just look at it and just notice if there's any change that happens for you. Yeah, just notice internally, like feel in your body and your mind. Notice if there's any pull towards it or leaning in the mind in any way, particular way or another. And if it feels like actually there is a leaning towards it, see if you can relax into being in balance again. Sometimes you could use the breath to do that. Just take a deep breath in and out. And then if you feel relatively balanced, then you could actually turn it on and just start to engage with your device as you normally do. But while you're doing that actually, uh, try to remain somewhat connected to your body, even as simple as your feet on the ground or being uh, connected to the chair. And also try to notice if there becomes a strong leaning in your mind, try to notice that. Just notice when you're starting to lean forward in that way and then try to like relax back. So go ahead, you can play with your little device. (laughs) Click away. You can notice how it feels as you're trying to go back and forth. Notice if you're frustrated, if there's no service here. (laughs) Then use some other app or something that... uh, If you have a calendar on it, you can look at your calendar. You notice if there's any strong emotions that arise while you're doing this, or if it's harder for you to feel connected to your body. if there's curiosity and interest and when that might lean into a more grasping, craving, tightness. So when you hear the bell, I want you to stop for a moment and then take a mindful breath. Try to reconnect with your body. So now you can go back to using your device again. There's no (laughs) Wi-Fi (laughs) here. All right. So we can put our devices down for a moment. And now let's reflect a little bit on what this was like to try to mindfully interact with your device. So what did you notice, learn, anything interesting? Was it hard to do? Easy. Yeah.
1: I hadn't checked my phone except for to te- check the time since we got here this morning. Yeah. And at certain points throughout the day, that had taken willpower, forgetting the fact that there was no
0: uh, cell service out here. Uh huh. And I was feeling so proud of myself that you know, I hadn't even tried to check during lunch and then had such a lovely sit. So yeah. I was really surprised to see that when you said, go ahead and bring it out, I actually had a really strong aversion to it. Ah, okay. Which is are you very unusual? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Look, I'm Jim, I've cured opposite. her. Yes. I'm, I'm
2: nor- normally the opposite. Uh-huh. Just,
0: like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but uh, but then once I turned it on and got into it, it's just like, you, I feel like I just put everything into it. Like I, I jumped into this other world and the rest of this lovely environment ceased to exist. Uh-huh, mm-hmm. right, right. Which is a little scary. Did anyone else notice that too? Mm-hmm. Like getting sucked into the screen in some way or something like that
1: just funny to see everybody looking at their phone uh, <laughs> like, and that's not that right I mean that happens all
2: the time <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah for me this feels just like a complete boundary violation like, I didn't want to touch it at first just because mm. for me there's a really clear distinct boundary.
0: uh-huh right
2: so it just feels very very novel uh-huh I, mean, I too I use mine as a watch like this is my watch yeah um, so there was only once when I was out walking where it occurred to me, <clears throat> I needed to know what time it is. Right. Uh, no, I actually don't, because somebody's going to ring the bell. So right. I'm not even gonna also, just knowing that there's no Wi-Fi, to me, the lessons, is, this isn't what it really actually is. Uh-huh. Without that connection. Uh-huh. There's tons of things I could play with, that's true, but knowing it's offline, eh.
0: Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> mm-hmm. a paperweight. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Interesting. Yeah.
2: yeah. No, I assure you, when I get home, I'm going to check.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you know something?
2: Yeah. The thing happens that happens often when
1: I don't have a connection where I go, oh, right, there's a book on there. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was reading that. Uh-huh. Right, right.
0: Yeah, So. Kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. um I noticed like the lame thing I was looking up online before I got here. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I was like, why oh, do I care about what I just was trying to at, you know, <laughs> like some yeah. But um and then also I do it also like I I feel like in the past like with um coffee the type of disposable coffee drinks you can get the cups and mm. I um I almost feel like. If there was a magical way for me a, in my lifetime of how many I've used, I'd be, like, appalled at the pile. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel that same way with the amount of time I've wasted on this, like,
1: mm.
0: um, when it's not working. Like, just, I spent that whole time trying to figure out how to get online. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, I just feel like if there was some way to, like, see how much time I wasted in that way,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I'd be, like, appalled Um so that's where, like, my original... Yeah. Came from from yeah, yeah. It's good to be aware of our time and our life, because it is basically our life that, that we have here, and how we're spending it, and how we're choosing to spend it. And uh, in the Buddhist teachings, they talk a lot about our precious human life. You know, like, we all have a certain length of life, only we don't know how long it is. So it's kind of as if you are a device, in fact, that has an unknown battery life. <laughs> And you can't be recharged. <laughs> and uh, you know. But you don't know how long the battery life is. Is it two hours? Is it 20 hours? Is it 20 years? Is it uh, 50 years? Right? Like all of us, is true. And we probably have some assumption in the back of our mind in some way, like, oh yeah, you know, my parents lived to 80 and so I'll probably live to 80, or oh yeah, I'm like this healthy so I'll probably live this long. But the truth is, like, you do not know, right? None of us know how long our life is. Uh, and this is not meant to be like a morbid, frightening thought, but actually uh, kind of like, wake up and let's focus on what's important kind of thought. You know, like how are we actually spending our time? So the days and nights are relentlessly passing. How are we sp- you spending your, t- your days? right? And that includes actually in, uh, even in small things with like um, what we're paying attention to, right? And like when we're uh, sitting and paying attention to the breath and the uh, meditation time, it's like you could pay attention to maybe In, uh, you know, a couple breaths each uh, few seconds or so. So you could even consider it's like you've had a certain amount of breaths in your life. You started breathing when you were born, and basically you continue till the time of your death. You think of it like even a thread, it's sort of like sewing this uh, cloth of your life in, out, and out, and out. You only get so many stitches, you know. And now, however many decades you're in, you're like that far into your little quilt there. And then there's some amount in the future, but you don't know how far it is. Like, you don't know how many more stitches you have, right? So in the meantime, like, how are we going to be spending our time? What are we spending our energy on? So it's just to choose things that are uh, helpful. Choose what's wise. Make our best um, attempt to prioritize, right? So uh, there's sometimes this assumption that, like, it's going to go on forever, right? In In the Mahabharata, they say, like, the most wondrous thing is that people see others dying all around them and never think it'll happen to them, right? It's like, oh, everyone but me, or something, uh, or suddenly there's a sense of surprise when someone you know dies, right? Like, oh, yeah, all oh, right, we're all mortal, right? You know. So it's helpful to attend to this. And, and the thing that um, uh, you're reflecting on about like feeling kind of pulled into the screen you know, is like, uh, related to a very important teaching of the Buddhas, which is around uh, what is actually the source of difficulty, strain, stress, suffering in life. And this is part of his teaching on the Four Noble Truths. And the answer is actually this leaning of the mind, this tanha, craving. Right, It's actually the, the grasping, which is not the same thing as any movement of the mind. Like the mind can move, you can have desires, you can have dreams, you can have goals, you can move towards things. But it's more uh, this leaning which moves into an obsessiveness, which moves into a complete absorption into this one thing and ignoring of everything else, not in a positive way, but in an obsessive way, in a tight, tense, obsessive way, right? So it's actually this movement of the mind that it's very important to pay attention to and to notice uh, in relationship to everything, but in particular, since we're focusing on technology today, in relationship to this world, this kind of like imaginary world that can open up many, many doors for good or for nothing. So, t- the I talked about craving in three different ways. So, one was about craving for some sense perception. So, this is like kind of craving for something to arise in our experience of the world, and it could be for a taste, like I want chocolate cake, or I want to have sex, or you know, I want to have this kind of um, sensation in my body, or this kind of smell, or I want to see this thing, right? Or when it pertains to, for example, accessing the internet or getting uh, some uh, email or something like that. Uh, It's really about uh, connection with the mind, right? Like search, craving for information, craving for some hit of information or some visual thing that actually uh, represents information. So uh, different people have different amounts of this, right? Like as their general tendency of mind. Um, Some people are just happy to like know what they need to know and then not need to know a lot of other stuff. Many others, perhaps many people in this room, (laughs) have almost an insatiable craving for this knowing and collecting information and moving through, right? And the internet is a place where it's sort of like this uh, world where you can click on this thing and it leads to that thing, you can click on that, you can click, you know, there's like infinite numbers of of clicks that you can do in this world. And there's nothing inherently unethical about seeking information. Right? It's not necessarily like a problem itself, but the movement of mind, you know the craving, the movement of mind in this way is the thing that can be a challenge. Uh, now, in this movement of mind with craving, the deceptive part is that we always invest in the object that we're leaning towards. Like we're invested in this thing that we want and we feel like, if only I had that, then I would be great. right? Like what I need is... Uh, to have that chocolate cake. right? Or what I need is to see this thing. Or what I need is to know this thing. So we actually put the attention on the thing. It's deceptive because actually the thing that is disturbing our peacefulness and happiness is the leaning itself, like it's actually the craving itself. So you can notice this partly because there's a certain insert photo here uh, quality to this whole pattern, right? It's like, oh, I'll, all I need to know is what the weather is today. Click. Then once you got that, it's like, all I need to know is, who is the second baseman for the 1943 New York Yankees? Click. <laughs> and then it's like, all I need to know is, oh, what time is the BART leaving? To, you know, click. click. It's, it's all I need to know is blank. But this keeps changing, but it's actually this leaning that is a thing. Right. So it it requires being able to see past the deceptiveness of this changing object into noticing that it's actually the pattern of mind, it's the leaning, it's the craving itself that is the thing that's actually taking us out of a state of happiness, peacefulness, you know, things being uh, good. But we usually believe in the story, and the story is like, I need this, I need this, I need this trouble is there's always a new this, right? There's always a new object. And you could think this in your life, too. It's like, okay, I'll be happy once I get this degree, once I get this job, once I get this car, once I make this much money, once I get this person to go out with me, once I get this person to marry me, once I end this period of time, once I find a new apartment, right? Like that story goes on and on and on, and there's really never any end to it. So where's the only place you can find happiness is in this very moment, right? In this very moment. The only thing that exists is the present. And it's actually the leaning away from that, this fictitious uh, leaning towards some fictional future that actually is the thing that causes the stress. So, question,
1: yeah. Yeah, so something related to this for, um, for both the devices that I use for yeah. technology, but then also my embodiment in some sense uh, in the internet. This relates to what I do Right? I write or all these other things. Yeah. I have trouble distinguishing um, Concentration and flow in the use of those devices and in the parts, you know, if I write software sometimes and, you know, so I'm thinking, yeah. and I'm, I'm trying to embody some aspect of the machine, let's say, right? Or I'm writing, I'm embodying the reader reading those words from uh, this sort of craving or obsession. Yeah, uh, I'm a little bit confused even right now yeah. what I was experiencing
0: uh-huh. earlier. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's helpful. This is very helpful to like, practice and to feel the movement of mind. And we're actually going to do, we'll do a physical embodiment exercise with this um, right after this that might help, right? Um, but actually, we'll, we'll do one right now. Like, so say you're sitting here and sitting in some posture that's relatively like, comfortable for you, right? And now I want you to actually like, lean forward. Like lean forward in a way that's like, a little bit uncomfortable for you. A little bit uncomfortable, right? And now we'll do the rest of the afternoon in this posture, <laughs> so... <laughs> all right, maybe we won't do the rest of the afternoon in this posture, but you can feel like this, the discomfort of this, right? Like there's a leaning forward that's happening. Uh, and you can do it for a little while, but it's hard to do it for a long period of time uh, in this way, right? Uh, like there's a, it actually takes a stress on the muscles, it takes some toll on you, right? Um, but this is sort of the mental posture. Okay, you can relax back now. This is like the mental posture, you know, of the the craving, of the leaning, right? And then it can go sometimes into a more, like, ossified kind of, like, you know, kind of mental, like, the claws come through, like, trapped in that, right? So it's actually starting to notice that, uh, and in the mind, it's like a much more subtle thing to notice, right, than in the body. Like, you can see it physically, and you feel it much more. The body is a more sort of, grosser apparatus than the mind. But actually, once you start to pay attention, the mind actually has a similar pattern of that, right? So it's helpful to actually notice like when there's a leaning in that way, and when there's a grasping like that, and when there's like a, you know, there's a tightness around it. Uh, And then it also is helpful to notice what it feels like when there's not that, because it actually is possible to engage in thought and engage with the internet and to engage with stuff without there being that like quality there too. But it takes practice to feel that. So, yeah. Sorry, just
1: one other question about this. Uh, So, okay, so so that's a bit helpful. I think part of what's confusing to me is that if I I treat my posture when I'm working and where my attention is using a device, analogously to how I might if I was trying to say speak more wisely to you, right? Mm. Then part of that practice might be very consciously splitting my attention between my own body mm. and whatever the object is that I'm interacting with. Okay, so that's all well and good in, in theory. Mm. But then, especially when I get really concentrated yeah. into one of these sorts of devices, that starts to feel like an impediment.
0: Uh huh.
1: I don't know if other people have this at all, but
0: so you mean they're trying to be connected to your body versus yeah. just yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So you don't always have to be connected to your body, but like um, the body is a good place to give you clues about the feelings in the mind and emotions too, right? So, but it, you don't have to be, so it's possible to be completely into what you're doing, but then also to still notice the movement of mind a little bit, right? Um, it's So the body is like a support in that, yeah, right. you know, yeah. but um, it's not absolutely necessary to do that, but it's a more, uh, uh, it's sort of sends signals up, you know, like sort of somatically that we don't always catch on the more subtle level of the mind, I guess is what it is, yeah. And it's kind of like, like I was discussing, you know, basketball. My new favorite spiritual pursuit, you know, <laughs> is uh, you know there's the there's the game that's just like purely physical and purely form, but there's a lot of it that's mental also, right? And even like um, for example, um, there's people who are shorter than me who can shoot like three point shots, like sh- from like you shoot from further away. And uh, I feel like, oh, I'm strong enough to be able to do that. I should be able to do that, Um, but I can't right now because there's something about the way that I'm moving energy in the body that's, like, not letting me shoot further, right? So I'm currently, like, sort of working on that, but it's more a mental thing. There's something physical as part of it, but also there's a mental thing about focus and about, like, movement of energy. So similarly, like, there's something with, you know, uh, even programming or something that's even though it's mental, there's sort of a physical component to it. It's kind of the opposite of basketball, like most of it is mental, right? But there's a physical support to it. Yeah, you got it. Yeah.
1: Well, what I find is programming is that the, when you're in it, and you're really just the mind and not the body, and, yeah. and things are going smoothly, you don't recognize the body. It's when you run across the problem that yeah. you can't solve, and you get tense, Yeah. And it comes and then energy
0: is building. Right? right, right. So it's actually like, just like that, it's like if you, if you mostly can sort of be in the flow of it, but then notice when there's like a, like a tensing that happens or, you know, that wrinkle that happens, then that's uh, a helpful sign. And part of that as also comes from noticing when it's not tense, like getting yourself used to knowing the state of it being actually relaxed and in the flow, you know, uh, because then you'll notice aberrations from that more, right? You'll notice aberrations from that. And uh, in some ways, this is like um, paying attention to to this uh, called dukkha, this like strain, stress, suffering, at more and more refined levels, you know, more and more refined levels of, um, of noticing when you're uh, in this state of uh, craving, clinging, grasping, difficulty, right? Um, so in the beginning, it might just be like, you only notice when it's just like huge or something. You know, it's sort of like if you're walking around and like, you notice if there's like a giant rock in your shoe right and, and you're like ouch that hurts so then you stop and you'll take off the shoe and you know be like what is that right shake it out and then after a while like you know as soon as the first step with a rock you'll be like i don't that's not good take it out right but then it might be like oh there's sort of finer pebbles in your shoe and then it takes a while and you're like oh wait there's something off here so then you shake those out and then it gets to like where you notice sand in your shoe you know sand in your shoe also it feels like an irritant so you're like shake that out so it's sort of becoming more and more aware and sensitized to like when there begins to be something more and more subtle level that feels like, oh, okay, something's going on here, check it out, right. So where, where there is this um, uh, craving, clinging, uh, the kind of uh, the wake up bell again is like this, this sense of strain, stress, suffering. So it's like when that happens, like, oh, okay, pay attention. What's going on here, right? What am I clinging to? What's, where's the, the leaning, right? What's there? So it gets more complex also, with, especially with something like um, technology, I think, because there's your basic, this first one that we covered, that is about uh, the leaning for information or for a visual or something like that. second kind of uh, craving that the Buddha talked about is a more subtle one, which is about craving for becoming. So this is more about identity. right? So this sense of self that can arise in interaction with others or with technology or something like that too. So uh, how does this happen? So you might be just going along quite happily, minding your own business, you know, quietly walking or smelling the air or whatever. And then suddenly uh, you, your phone pings. So ding, You know, that ding that you've been like now Pavlovian-like uh, <laughs> trained to know means that like a text message has come in. And immediately it's like, I must check that. I must know who wants me, who wants to tell me what, right? Uh, and then as you check that, it's like, Depending on who it is, you basically arise, like a sense of self arises, and it could be a different sense of self depending on who it is, right? So we have all these different identities. So maybe it's your mom, then it's like, oh, you arise as a daughter or son, or uh, maybe it's your best friend, or then then you arise as a friend. Maybe it's like your boss, then you maybe arise as like the fear-filled employee, or um, maybe it's a praise message, then you arise with pride, you know. Um, Maybe it's someone you have a crush on, then you arise with like the intrigue and interest, right? So it's like, and then that passes away and another self arises another, you know, like that, right? So uh, there's this other kind of craving that's not just for the information itself, but that is actually this kind of addiction to the arising of self, of like wanting to become something. Uh, And uh, each time that we take birth, it's like this new being, but then we totally believe in it, right? So all of these, these arisings of self are not necessarily a problem except that we take them to be solid, we take them to be permanent, and we lean towards some of them as like, I really want this one. I really want this one to be, you know, like, I need this. This is me, right? Now on the flip side, there's actually a craving for non-becoming also, which sometimes happens. This could be like if you get text from your boss or something that you don't want, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, don't want to arise in this <laughs> form. Don't want to exist in this way, right? Like, uh, like want to annihilate, want to not be there, right? Uh, So it's kind of both sides, but in both ways, you're kind of believing in whatever is the arising of this uh, imaginary self as being sort of permanent, steady stock, right, and uh, buying into that in some way. So I think this is particularly interesting with uh, technology and the technology of communication because we arise, the sense of self arises in relationship to others quite often, right, Uh, in all these different ways. And... It's good to notice, like, which of these do I have a particular stickiness for, you know? Uh, And which of these do I have some, like, oh, don't want to become that, right? Or sometimes it's just, like, anything. I'll take anything, even a junk message. Like, I'll take it because then I'm arising and, you know, (laughs) there's some arising even relationship to that, right? That happens. Uh, So there's there's this addiction to this sense of self uh, that keeps coming and keeps us, like, coming back in this way. And it feels similar, like, there's a stickiness, there's a sticky quality to that um arising that it happens without technology also but i think uh, with email and with texting and uh, twitter and stuff there's like a another level of arising that can happen for those who engage with those uh, kind of technologies so does that make sense to people this arising of self
2: is could you say validation is synonymous with arising or how different are they just to be validated
0: It depends maybe on what you mean by the validation. Oh. Um, yeah, say something yeah,
2: appro- more. I'm not sure, approval from somebody else.
0: It could be, like if it's like, yeah, I want to arise as like the good boy or the good mm. employee or, you know, this, yeah. and I don't want to arise as this. Yeah, then it's, it can be like around that too. The interesting thing with technology is, like, once it bings, you know, when they're, like, we don't even know who it's from, but sometimes there's this, like, oh, I want to arise as something, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Like, let me take birth as something, like this, I must find out what this is. So this urge for becoming, it really seems like that urge for becoming, for, like, birth, you know, rebirth, right? And the grander scale in the Buddhist teachings is that it's actually um, this craving that actually keeps us in, you know, what's called samsara, this sort of, like, endless cycle of rebirth, so in the Buddhist teachings, it actually is that once you, the, you know, there's a, there is a continuous rebirth that happens, both, you know, in this life, but also in uh, future lives, right? But here in a microcosm, whatever you believe about that or not, you know, setting that aside, you can see it happening on a small scale in your inbox or in your, you know, <laughs> texting uh, field, like all the time. So scary. scary, isn't it? Yeah. It's totally um, awakening to <laughs> hear this, like, because I can relate. Yeah. So then what can you do about it, right, is the question, right? So <laughs> so, so. actually, this is the kind of the product of, um, of delusion, really. It's like a not seeing clearly, and there's a way in which there is a need to continuously arise and an addiction to that, but it's possible to sort of see through that, but it takes a lot of practice. So this is a much more subtle thing than like, um, you know, I have a craving for... I don't know anything particularly juicy here, like, you know, yellow piece of paper, like I must, you know, then it's like, that's, that's more tangible, and like I can see it, I can see myself reaching for it, right? But this craving for becoming is a more subtle thing. So it actually requires becoming more aware on a finer tuned level to like that movement of mind towards that, that arising of self, right? And that belief in that arising of self. So the thing with this self, this ego kind of um, fabrication is that you don't actually need to eradicate it, because it doesn't actually exist, really. So the, uh, a common uh, spiritual analogy for this is like you're walking along and um, you see a snake, like out here, and you're going, oh no, this is a snake. And then on looking at it more closely, you see it's actually like a rope or a, a garden hose or something. And you're like, oh, okay, phew, it's not a snake. Right. So what happened to the snake, right. like where'd the snake go? Like, the snake didn't go anywhere. There wasn't really a snake in the first place. It was just a misperception, right, that it was a snake. Uh, so you didn't actually need to kill the snake to get rid of it, right? Like, you didn't need to take something and, like, beat the garden hose to death, right? It was just, like, <laughs> you might have if you didn't notice sooner, right? But it's just like, oh, okay, you just needed to see through that, right? So similarly with this arising of um, this arising of self that we, like, buy into and believe in, you don't actually need to stop it from happening. It's just a perception And then it's a misperception that that is actually true and permanent and continuous, right? So it's actually just to like get used to the fact that that happens, but not believe in it so much. And then notice this leaning again. So here we go again back to the mind, the movement of mind. So it's actually attending to that movement of mind towards that, uh, that like uh, desire for that arising. So what supports that? so, mindfulness, of course, does, and it's a more and more subtle level of mindfulness. In another kind of deeper way, it's actually connecting truly with the way things are. So, mindfulness is part of that, and also it actually is grounding yourself in a sense of interconnection and actually in more uh, of the field of love, of compassion. So, basically, like there's this, there's this search for security, there's a search for refuge, oftentimes, that happens through this like becoming is like, oh, I am this, I am that, I am this, I'm leaning for that, I want this, I want that, right? But actually, the more that we can actually ground our being uh, in spaciousness, in connectedness, in actually love and compassion, then that actually uh, decreases the need for this grasping towards, like, oh, this, 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 in this way. You can check it out and see if this is true or not, but uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. this is my hypothesis for you, right? So, and then being grounded in that field of love, of compassion, of spaciousness, is both kind of the end and also the path there. So the more we're able to see that, the more we're able to rest in that, then the less we need this kind of drive towards uh, becoming this, that, the other. And then also the more we see through that, the more we actually can uh, see through that, the more we're able to actually rest in this spaciousness connection. So that one's like a little bit more um, complex and unusual than the just basic craving for uh, sense perception, but it's a, I think it's an important one, uh, and particularly in relationship to sort of information and the sense of self arising through uh, our interactions and communication. Right. So, yeah.
1: How do you get to that place, you know, besides just doing the mindfulness and realizing that everything's impermanent? how do you get to
0: that place where you're just in that spaciousness of love and compassion? So <laughs> some of it is, uh, is from that. So it's not uh, just by doing the mindfulness. I mean, it actually is like something big there. Right. <laughs> you know, like... like <laughs> yeah, <that's> not... <laughs> So it actually it is a very profound thing to be able to do that. And you know, we're constantly kind of toggling between, if you will, like connection and, and not connection. And uh, so that's okay. That movement is okay. Like even noticing that movement is good. Uh, But the more that we're actually practicing with that and able to know, like, well, what does it feel like to rest in that field and what does it feel like to be out of that, right, is good. Also, there are actually other practices, which maybe we'll do a little bit today, but uh, which are like actually practices of cultivating that heart of uh, kindness, of compassion, like metta practice, loving kindness practice, compassion practice, um, which are ways to actually cultivate that sense of interconnection, right. Um, But basically, like the whole Buddhist path, including... Practicing generosity is a way to actually practice that. Like like practices of generosity are actually a very important way of understanding and actually enacting connection in a way that helps us to rest in that field. Right. So it's not just only meditative practices, it's actually like action that helps us to do that. So for example, like generosity itself is like an act in which on one level it seems like, oh, here's me giving this thing to this other person or say some act of service, it feels like, oh, here's me serving this other person, right? But actually, in the act of the service, uh, it's not always clear, like, who is the giver and who is the receiver, right? Like, actually, through being able to connect with another being, like, we're actually pulled into that field, you know? Like, we're actually grounding ourselves in that field of connection through our service to this other being, right? Uh, So, even in choosing to be generous and, like, uh, reinforcing that habit in our mind, we're actually, like, uh, enacting that and uh, grounding ourself in the possibility of that, like, resting in that field. Right. Even acting uh, in accordance with the precepts, so, like, basically acting in an ethical way, you know, is actually a way of uh, resting in that field. So it's kind of like the fake it till you make it in some way sometimes. You know, it's like, okay, someone who is actually fully enlightened and fully, completely uh, lives from that place actually naturally acts ethically in this way. So naturally would not kill another being, like naturally would not take things, wouldn't harm others with sexuality, naturally is truthful, right? Uh, Naturally wouldn't do something to like lose connection, right? It's not possible. So then until that point, as which we are completely in that way, we try to follow guidelines that help us to like act like we are. right, Which then actually grounds us more in that field at the same time. So.
1: Yeah. Sorry, um, one other question about the identity thing. Yeah. So I don't know if there are any practices you'd suggest for this, but this is different for me for email and something like Facebook. Yeah. Um. So in your terms, I guess, or in these terms, yeah. what's interesting to me about checking something like Facebook is even as compared to the biggest dinner party or like big party I've ever gone to, I cycle through more different identities in the span of two minutes. Yes. Because I'm just sort of like, oh, this person and then there's like my whole history with that and this person and my whole history with that and yeah. and this person, right? Or like, they're in France or like, you know Right. Their mother just died or you know. Right. Um, I don't know if...
0: if yeah, it, it, it does allow for like a quicker and more, you know, more connections and more arisings, it seems like. Uh, well,
1: and also it's, ex- it's more exhausting in a certain sense, right? Like, yeah. Because I have to move through a lot of very different uh, stances almost. I mean, even if I'm just reading and absorbing it.
0: Right, right. And that's partly where it's like noticing what the effect is on you and then choosing like how much to engage too, right? Because that could be like a little sinkhole that you go through too like you could look at a thousand people's profiles and like you could spend an evening doing that or something right uh, and it could be that some of them are just neutral and it's fine it just arises and pass away you just see them and then there's some that you notice are particularly sticky in relationship to you you know like someone who you feel competitive with or someone who you really like or someone you don't really don't like or something like that so noticing those coming and going so it happens. I mean, it happens in non-technological life too. So you know, I mentioned this basketball team I'm playing on, and um, I think I mentioned we're all short on this team. Did I say that we're between five foot and five foot five? Yeah. <laughs> so our team's getting creamed. Like we're not very good, you know. And uh, I haven't played basketball much since high school, um, but I actually was a really good athlete in high school. But I played other like field sports, like um, field hockey, lacrosse, different things. So. I have kind of residually this um, idea of myself as a good athlete, right? Uh, Which is now like, uh, you know, out of date by like a quarter of a century, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But there is still lingering back there, this identity as an athlete. And it's like, I was like an all-star player, and I was like on all these, you know, all-metro team and all-state. And, you know, it's like, I still think of myself as that. But now I'm actually like... You know, middle aged and short, and you know, I was short then too, but you know, <laughs> it's just not, I'm not, it's not the same thing. So uh, I thought that I had actually, um, you know, run into that arising of identity and it had fallen apart, fallen away in my 30s when I was playing like club sports and I kept having to. Uh, cover people who were like 21 and you know they kept (laughs) I kept getting slower and they were like always fast right Um, but now I still notice that in this league you know even though it's like it's obvious we're going to lose we're like short and we're disorganized and we haven't played together and uh, but still I notice this like you know the the rising of the identity and the suffering when I cling to that identity like when I don't see it coming up and I'm like you know uh, needing to be like a winner in some way or you know needing to be see myself personally as like this great athlete or something it's like it's like dukkha it really is you know yeah. uh, but if i can see it and kind of laugh at it like because it's it's like ludicrous right yeah. that uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny that it still is around but it's just like there's this arising it's like this habitual arising so if i can see it and then it can fall away it's not really a problem you know it's just like oh yeah look there's the me as an athlete thing it's like left over you know it's like an old tape it actually is on a cassette tape because it's that old, you know, it's like that old media. It's like <laughs> from the 80s, right? So you can see these things arise and pass away, but the higher the volume of it, like with some, like, you know, the the harder it is to track it faster. And also the stickier, the the kind of sense of self, you know, like some of them you might be less invested in. It's kind of like, okay, I could let that go. And some it's just like, oh no, like, I do want to make more money than that guy here. You know, I want, oh, he went to that school. Oh, yeah, yeah, or, oh, look, his, you know, His kid is cuter than my kid, oh no, whatever, right? It's like some arising, right, like that. So it's it's just a place to attend to, be interested in, you know, uh, be interested in that, and particularly the addictive quality of it, right? So the addictive quality, the thing with addictive quality too is that sometimes it feels bad and we still keep going, right? I mean, this thing with addiction, right? It's not always that like it immediately continues to feel good, but it's like the quality of mind that's like driving that feels like addictive. So let's do a little physical exercise with this now, right? So we're gonna do a little walking meditation that involves, so you can put your devices back down. They don't, they don't need to come along on this. Right? Um, so we going to stand up and go like spread out in different parts of the room, let's say. So we're gonna practice feeling this leaning, this sort of craving leaning kind of thing. All right, so we can just stand there for a moment, just like grounding in your body and, you know, being present and. So then when you start just walking around, you can keep your eyes open and just walk around and try to stay kind of grounded in your body. You can walk at a sort of normal to slow pace. Uh, You can look around if you need to. Yeah, don't bump into each other. Now let's speed it up a little so it's like a little bit more normal walking pace, but try to stay grounded in your body as you're moving. So here we are walking through the ferry terminal or the BART station. Now you just start to walk like you're in a rush. You're in a rush. You want to get somewhere. Gotta hurry. And move. All right. So try not to bump into each other still. And feel what it's like in your body as you're doing this. So notice if there's any leaning going on mentally or physically. Notice how it changes your relationship to others. Okay, now stop for a moment. Feel your body. Take a few breaths. Now you start walking again. You can walk at a regular pace. And we're gonna speed up in a moment, but I want you to see if you could walk fast without that feeling of toppling. So is it possible to walk fast without the feeling of leaning forward? So being grounded and walking quickly, okay? So stay in that place of groundedness. Now you can start to walk faster, a little bit faster, but still staying grounded, steady. Now maybe even walking a little bit faster, but still staying grounded. So you're not rushing, you're just moving quickly. There's a difference. And now take it up one more notch, a little bit faster, still trying to stay grounded. And stop. So now you can stand still again. Just connect again with the body. All right, and you can come back, come back to your seats again.